You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I am your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Oh, Grump, glorious Monday. It is glorious. Four-game winning streak, first place. Do you think we'd be in this position six months ago? I wasn't really sure that we were going to win four games all year, so a four-game winning streak was a little unlikely. Um, if you asked me to bracket out a, a section of the season that those four games would come, I wouldn't have picked this one necessarily, but I, none <laughs> of that really matters. I mean, I, I, I could have told you for sure I didn't think we'd win any game with, uh, except for maybe against like Cincinnati or something with, uh, with a backup quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact was we didn't really need that backup quarterback to win the game. And we – pretty much dominated both lines in that game. That was one in the trenches. That was something where, you know, we beat them. That was not a fluky win. That no. was a beating. Yeah, and, and it was – it didn't start off great, that game. Uh, you know, Seattle's opening drive, the defense was able to buckle down. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, that first quarter and even – the first half was just not very great for the Giants there. They had one decent-looking drive, and then you know things kind of fell apart for reasons we'll get into in the podcast. But uh, it wasn't really until the second half where they just came out and they were like, we're just going to punch you in the face over and over and over again. There's nothing really tricky or, or gimmicky about it. You know, a couple things here or there with uh, you know Shane Lemieux lining up as a fullback. For the most part, this was just a a being. Yeah, it was just a power man running scheme. You know, yeah. a little bit of gap scheme in there too, but just get off the line and push somebody back. And you know, not for nothing. You know, we say Colt McCoy didn't really have to do much in this game. He really didn't have to work hard for what he got either. I mean, yeah. he had clean pockets to work with for the most of this game. I, it's, I can only think of like one or two plays off the top of my head where he was really like right off the bat struggling. I mean, they did a lot. It seems they did a lot of game planning work to figure out Seattle's defense, where they were strongest and um, you know what they could handle and what they needed to worry about. Yeah. I mean, well, first things first was he did the most important thing. He did not lose the game for them. You know, he was just, it's not a situation where the guy just threw three picks, did not know what he was doing with the ball and was just, completely lost so that was a victory in itself and you're right we they had a lot of a lot of support from an offensive line in this the rebirth of a running game it, i mean would i want to have colt mccoy play the next four games no is there a quarterback controversy no but he did the job of what a backup quarterback needs to do and that's why you bring in a guy like him is to get you through a game you know finish out a game if somebody gets hurt get you through a whole game if you have to for one or two games and that's it. And, uh, you know, put that another one in the uh, Dave Gettleman category. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't understand why so many people, 
so many Giants fans were so worried about Colt McCoy. Like, I understand going into this game against a team with a winning record on the road with a backup quarterback is far less than ideal. But of all people, you know, Colt McCoy is not in the, in the bottom of the league for backup quarterbacks. I mean, this year we've seen practice squad wide receivers play quarterback. We've seen, you know, Kyle Allen play quarterback. Guys, we've never heard of play quarterback this year. Colt McCoy is a guy who played very well in college. We, we covered all this in the last episode. Yeah, but he, yeah, he, he makes his living of being a backup quarterback. He's a, he's a professional backup quarterback. But that, exactly. But a professional backup quarterback is not a guy you haven't heard of. I mean, these guys float around the league for yeah. a reason. They exist for a reason because they can be pro backups. They are always ready to come right off the bench. And- I have a lot of beefs with Giant fans we're going to talk about in this show. And you know that may be... That's one of the ones I think that's just, uh, you know, worrying about things they don't need to worry about. But we're going to get into, you know, what Giant fans have for expectations and what Giant fans, I don't even know which is what, I don't know. We'll get into it, but I got a little beef with some of you people out there. Well, let's start with a quick recap of the game here. So the Giants ended up beating the Seattle Seahawks on the road 17-12. Um and they managed to come out of it fairly healthy too. Uh, the only real injuries were, you know, Darnay Holmes was a little shaken up and came back out there. Matt Parrott, it appears, played through a tweaked ankle. And in the very ending series of the game, the last two series, I believe, Blake Martinez injured his back and did not return to the game. Um, was just dealing with something it's not anticipated uh, based on some reports, some early reports today, Monday, that it's anything serious to worry about. Um Otherwise, very healthy game. Um, the the Seahawks. Russell Wilson was sacked, at, I think, five times. Was under pressure far more than that. Um, there was a fumble. There was an interception. I mean, this defense really, really did the heavy lifting for this game, which is what what's really kind of needed uh, when your backup quarterback is in. Yeah. Uh... I'm still trying to process everything that happened yesterday, you know, and, you know, it's amazing how one game can change really a national perspective of a team when not really that much has changed from people like us who watched, you know, this team very closely, you know, on a daily and weekly basis where all of a sudden now the, are we sure the giants aren't bad? Or do we think the giants are really good? You know, and uh, this has been such a fluky year. You know, Washington just beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. You know, we're seeing all these crazy wins and losses. And to me, one game doesn't determine anything in this league, especially this year. And I think our expectations shouldn't be any more elevated than they were before this game. And, you know, our analysis and our kind of evaluation of this team really shouldn't change after one. But it's just kind of a more of a validation for us that what we think we're seeing as positives are showing finally in the score and in the win column. You know, we were suffering from losers lose, you know, we, all the good things we do in a game, the show improvement didn't matter. We were losing games. Now we're winning these games and beating a team that is a, a solid playoff team, Seattle, they're not a Super Bowl team, but they're a solid playoff team. That's just a marker to kind of validate what they've been doing. And, you know, all we wanted this year was relative, you know, games that were relevant in December and meaningful games for us as fans and for the team to keep developing. And this is 
an 11 on a scale of 10 for what I could hope for. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. You know, we've been speaking in the vacuum of this season only because we have a new head coach, a whole new coaching staff here. But, you know, we get to watch this team and we put all of our focus into this team uh, day after day, right? So we have a good perspective of what this team is despite the record. And we've been talking about this throughout the year. You know, losers lose has been kind of a thing, you know, just not being able to finish guys just growing, honestly, from week one to week 17, the scheme being installed from week one to week now, um, you know, these are all factors, but it's, it's, I, I think it's finally time that nationally fans just kind of realize that this isn't a bad team anymore because every time I, I like to follow, um, I, I don't know how to describe with the, I, I guess just like Twitter accounts for football teams that have a lot of followers, very popular people around the entire league, especially within our division, but just everywhere. And, you know, during the games, I've got Twitter open and I can see them having a meltdown, an absolute meltdown every single week except for the week against the 49ers. But I cannot believe that we're, we're losing to the Giants right now. I can't believe it's this close. What the hell are we doing? This is pathetic. You know, when it happens every single week, whether the Giants win or lose is kind of irrelevant. They are not a bad team. We can debate good team, great team, whatever, all these little minutiae, but what they are definitely not is a terrible team. And that's kind of like, it, it's been mixed in this whole thing of the New York media just makes everything worse than it actually is because it's so reactionary and so much better than it actually is as well. Very reactionary. It's a perfect storm. Why? I mean, you know, we are lumped in with the Jets. You know, the the New York football has been so bad for so long. We are lumped in with a very bad division. Exactly. You know, we are lumped in with a very bad start. We are lumped in with that San Francisco game. We are lumped in with all the noise about Dave Gettleman. And we Daniel are lumped, Jones for that matter. We are still lumped in with why did they tra- why did they draft Saquon Barkley? We are lumped in with why did they draft Daniel Jones so high? We are lumped in with Barkley hasn't been healthy, and he hasn't been healthy not just for this year, but I was talking with someone today that Barkley's been with this team now for almost three years, and I do not feel like he's the face of this franchise because, quite frankly, it seems like he's never here. And, you know, all of these things factored in, and, you know, NFC East, ha, 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 that's the biggest thing. And you just, you know, people form narratives that the first thing they see And most people are stubborn because, A, their ego doesn't want them to be wrong, and B, they just, you know, you don't notice things as they gradually happen, and maybe if you don't watch every single day. And the New York Giants and the Washington football team, I'm going to lump them in also, are not what they were in week one and week two. You know, circumstances have changed. Washington now has a real quarterback. We are growing into... You know, an, a, a defensive and an offensive philosophy, you know, with, you know, reps and game practice and figuring out who the right personnel is, you know, it's not worst team in the league or best team in the league or bust. There are different degrees of what you are. And you're right. We have we have graduated from being in that category of the Jets and the Chargers you know, in the Jaguars, we're above that now. I mean, we are a, 
We are a team that if we started the season today, we wipe the records clean and started and said, okay, we're making a race to the playoffs now. With a healthy Daniel Jones, this team could be a playoff team. Forget they're in the NFC East. I mean, the way the defense is playing, you know, the you know, the, the way we're stopping the run, you know, wh- what we're doing offensively, how we're we're developing a run game. We've cut down on turnovers and foolish mistakes so much. Now, this team could be a playoff team in in a regular division. I mean, we're approaching a point now where they're actually technically in the wild card hunt as well. I mean, they're not... After winning this game, for starters, I'm just going to say this. I said this on Twitter as well. With a backup quarterback on the road against one of the best teams in the conference... This team can stand toe-to-toe with any team. They've went toe-to-toe with Pittsburgh already. They went toe-to-toe with Tampa Bay, Chicago, the Rams, and now they've beaten Seattle. You know, there's no reason to think that any game is out of their reach. Now, on the flip side, there's no reason to think that anything's a guaranteed win with this team. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's, true. that's kind of irrelevant, isn't it? The fact is, it's not outlandish to think that they can beat Baltimore. It's not. It's not outlandish to think that they can beat Arizona or Cleveland or Dallas. All of these things are absolutely plausible and not plausible in the way where you hate when announcers say that that's unbelievable because it's right. an actual mathematical probability. But but it literally is plausible. It's not outside the realm of, of hot take. It's, it's yeah. not a hot take to say that the Giants could win any of those games. It just sure. isn't. We're, we're not going to be favored in any of them. You know, we probably will lose more of them than we'll win, but the chances of us winning a couple of them are much higher. You know, a week ago, we were saying that this team needed to win three games out of the next out of six, and that we we saw you know Dallas is going to be a win, and and you, you got to get Cleveland, and then hopefully you know you got to get Arizona in there or something like that. You got to win one of those to get to, to seven and nine, right? Yeah, that's gonna that's gotta be the one that will absolutely do it. It's possible to do it at six and ten, maybe if the rest of the division you know shits out all over the place. We're looking at we're we're looking at a chance right now where eight and eight is absolutely a probability. Yeah, I mean the margin of. Uh... The margin of error dropped a little bit today because Washington beat. We have, everybody had that penciled in as a loss. So there's they're, they're putting more pressure on the Giants. They're going to probably have to win one more game than we thought. But they still have that. They still have that tiebreaker. Yeah. Um, and you're talking. You're talking about well, looking even at the wild card. The problem we have is that we lost to Chicago. We lost to San Francisco. We lost to the Rams. We lost to the Bucks. Those are four teams that. Our potential wild card, you know, teams are battling for maybe that last spot. And, you know, we don't hold any tiebreakers with those. So to me, it's going to be NFC East or bust. Um, but I think that's the most likely. I think I see your point, though, is that we are starting starting to play at a level that's getting to be comparable to what the third wild card team in this league is. And if that's what your point is, I completely agree. And that is beyond my wildest expectations for this year. Well, yeah, I'm saying the the evolution of our expectations or, or possibilities, I guess, for this team was we're not counting wins, we want to see improvement, and then, sure. holy shit, you know, we're actually not out of first place. And then it was the, hey, we're in first place, we're probably going to, there's a good chance we're making the playoffs, but it's mostly due to a bad division, to, you know what, we'd be in the running for a wild card with this record yeah. every year anyway. 
we'd be in the hunt with this record. That's, that's what not I'm expectation. That, yeah, that's yeah, that's the not reality expectation. is is that that's we just, have exceeded yeah. the expectations. Yeah. Right. Now it's all gravy. And you know something what I don't where well, you will not hear me say right now, and I don't want to hear anybody say this until it's over, it's well, you know, it's been a great run and we should just be happy where we are right now. No. That's stuff you talk about in February and March. Not now. I don't want to hear well, if they lose the next three games or four games, it's it's been a great run and we we all know that. No shit. But let's we will go back with the you know, the postmortems and the patting ourselves on the back and being happy for where we are after the season is over. Because right now, you know, it may sound silly to the non giant fan or the outsider, but I am locked in with this team winning the division. And this is such a crazy year. You just got to get in. And what I saw on Sunday, I don't know if it was a a one-off or really are building something, is that when we're going to get to colder weather, having a defensive line and an offensive line dominate is how you win games. So I'm just excited. You know, I'm not excited without being unrealistic. We're not having – I'm not booking any flights to Tampa yet. I'm not even – you know, booking any flights to the second round game, but I'm just thrilled right now, but I'm not done. Well, I mean, you talk about just got to get in. I don't want to go off on a playoff tangent here, but there's only two teams in the NFC that I don't want to crack at, and that's New Orleans and, and Green Bay. But if we had to play LA, I'm so amped for that game. If we have to play Seattle again, I'm amped, I'm amped for that game. I would love another shot at Tampa. Oh my oh, God. God. Minnesota, Ugh. Chicago, if we got to play those teams, man, I, I'm ready for a win. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? As long as we don't have to play New Orleans or Green Bay. I guess he'll still the quarterback in the time for the playoffs. Bring them on, too. I mean, I guess. I'm yeah. not, not going to be thrilled about it. Like I am With the Rams, well, I'm ready to see a win. With, after the way they played them early on, I could see them beating the Rams, no question. We could have won that game being you know 70% of what we are we, now. Yeah, exactly. With an offensive line that wasn't blocking worth a shit in the first couple of weeks. I mean, for real. They, they really were not playing very well at the beginning, even though they were hanging tight. And we just laid a turd in that San Francisco game, but play them again. Uh, I don't think that there's a chance that they're going to win that division. If we go in as the fourth seed, don't we play? Oh, I guess we play the fifth seed, right? We play the best wild card team. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I mean they, that, they make it sneak in as a wild card, possibly, and then we, you know, again with my logic that anything can happen this year in the playoffs, you know, you could somehow meet them at some point somewhere. Who knows? I mean, just not even looking at remaining schedules. Just looking at the highest. Uh, records for the two highest records for the NFC is Seattle and Tampa Bay. And I would love to play both of them again with Daniel Jones. Ooh, I would love I, to play you know something. Games. I think, I think Seattle would, I'd be afraid of Seattle again. I, yeah, I, I but think I mean, that, again, you know, you're not on. Yeah. Yes, I would too. But again, we're not on the road and okay. That's, that's a perfect transition back into this game. Let's, let's get back to reality. This game was absolutely on the defensive side of the ball. Dominant. You know, I we, let's forget the offense for a little while because you know there's a learn there, there's a there's a curve on the grade there when you have your backup quarterback in. And we'll get into yeah, that's what we're really going to talk about soon. But yeah, let's start the defense. The cause... defense was holy shit. Russell Wilson, I, you know, I said you know, maybe they're going to put a spy on him, but you know, this is the first time that Patrick Graham is really going against other than Tom Brady. Um, 
who's arguably outside of uh, the top five quarterbacks in the league right now, finally. Um, but but Russell Wilson is a veteran. You know, he can read defenses and he can extend plays with his legs and really get it to be street ball. And, you know, this is going to be a real test for Graham. And I don't know that it plays into his strengths the same way. Forget all of that. Russell Wilson had no idea what was going on. He was... He, he, there were times... It, within the five sacks, there were some where he was in the pocket or or, you know comfortable, I guess you should say, for an extended period of time, three seconds, four seconds, five seconds before he's getting sacked, nothing doing downfield. He wasn't able to read anything pre-snap. And I'm going to bring this right into one of my stars for the game right away. Jabril Peppers, you know, he's played great all year. I don't think I've given him a star yet. He played like an absolute madman in this game. Several pass breakups, and he got a sack in there as well. The sack, he just absolutely bullied through two guys. Absolutely just took out a guard and then a running back and then uh, laid out Russell Wilson. He was insane in this game. I agree. And what made me really happy was he Russell Wilson looked confused. It wasn't it's even so much like the, the physical domination of the defensive line up front and you know all the, the, the different things where you know, linebackers were coming in and Jabril Peppers and all that. But it just looked like he wasn't prepared and that offense wasn't prepared for what was coming at him. And that that goes to Patrick Graham. Oh, for sure, yeah. That goes to a, a, a coach that when he was hired, a lot of Giant fans were like, Really? I wasn't too impressed with Miami's defense last year. And why did Miami so quick to let him go after one year? You know, it was, it was a bit of a head-scratching move. And now, let's fast forward to week 11 or wherever we are. Now you're starting to see his name popping up on, well, maybe he can replace so-and-so as head coach somewhere. It's amazing how fast those things change. But yeah, uh, I'll take some of the blame for that. I was one of those people who was like, Patrick Graham, really? I mean – and, you know, even when I broke down some of his work, I was like, I don't really see it. I know he's not really dealing with much in Miami. There's no chance for success there, but I'm just confused on what they see, you know. And obviously, what perspective do I have? So give myself a little bit of a break there because I wasn't super critical of the move, but I was confused by it, you know. But you're right. I mean, there's a whole movement on Twitter to just try and hide his name. They want... No giant fan wants his name being repeated around the league right now, and it's too little, too late now after beating Seattle on the road, and and in the fashion that they did it. Again, this was not this wasn't a missed field goal. This wasn't you know a, a punt return for a touchdown. None of that. They, this they was kicked their ass in the second half. <laughs> and and I'm going to bring this around. Let's keep this on the defensive side of the ball. Um, my other star of the game, Leonard Williams, is is everything the Jets wanted him to be right now on the Giants. He had two and a half sacks in this game, and not only that, at big moments, big moments, that third down one on the final drive of the game where Seattle was kind of, they had their last chops at at scoring a touchdown and winning this game. Every sack, it seemed, of Russell Wilson, with the exception of the one where he had a fumbled snap, which I guess is technically a sack, um, it seemed like it was like, 10 to 11 yards in the backfield. Yeah. he From the second he's been on this team, maybe his numbers last year weren't, you know, gaudy for sacks and stuff, but he's made the defensive line better. He's made the guys who play around him better. Now it's translating into numbers. Now it's translating into him, 
you know, actually getting sacks in the, in the big tackle numbers and everything. And he's been fantastic. He's everything you would have wanted for with the investment that we made in him. You know, let's not start with the, will they sign him or not? I mean, let's, let's worry about the rest of the season first. And we'll worry about things like that in the off season. And, you know, again, the, you know, the constant, uh, the evaluation of, of the decision to make the trade and all that. Let's wait till after the offseason. Let's focus on what he's doing right now. He's now playing at a Pro Bowl level. And that's something that this defense has needed for a long time. You know, we don't have, we, we don't have your traditional guy who's going to come in and get 12 sacks off the edge. We are generating a pass rush through scheme and through just being badasses up front. And he's really, you know, he's a guy who could have sulked and bitched because he was franchised and, you know, the players seem to hate that, but he's doing his job. He's going to make a lot of money this off season and uh, we'll benefit from that, from that uh, motivation and the performance. Absolutely. We'll worry about 2021 when the 2020 season is over, which it is absolutely not now. Um, yeah. You know, you say that he, we have nobody who's going to generate 12 sacks on this team. I don't think there's any chance he doesn't eclipse 10 at this point. He's at seven and a half right now, and we still have five games to play. Four games to four, play. Four games left. Four games to play to get two and a half sacks. We've got two and a half in this game. You know, so <laughs> he's getting 10. I, I, I can I can foresee that. And, and you know, you're right. It, some of it, a lot of these sacks are being generated through scheme. But when we say that, I don't mean through exotic blitzes. You know, yes, we're getting we're getting sacks and pressures by by sending corners off the edge and, and faking a gap pressure, but then coming in with the the slot corner or something like that, or or faking the slot corner having the a gap pressure. You know, all sorts of crazy stuff like that. Yes, but Leonard Williams, they're really just running, you know, tackle end stunts and getting it done. And the scheme that's paying off for them is the coverage disguises that's making the quarterback stay in the pocket a little bit longer. Now, you know, is that always going to be available? Probably not. But, you know, again, imagine this team as part of a building process. Um, They are operating with a cornerback on the other side that was not foreseen to be here. Wasn't here. You know, I mean, they had... Their plan 1A is DeAndre Baker is playing opposite James Baker, uh, J- James Bradbury. Whoops, that's out the window. Plan 1B is Sam Beal plays. Whoops, he opts out. Now you're like, okay, we have this guy named Corey Ballantyne who we thought we had more time to develop. He's not even on the roster anymore because they've signed guys like Ryan Lewis and Isaac Yadam or traded for Isaac Yadam. And, you know, these are guys who are on their second, third chances – and they're making it work. If they had a competent man, not that they're not competent, let me say, if they had the talent that they were expecting to get from a first-round pick playing on the opposite side of James Bradbury, they wouldn't even need to disguise coverage as much as they are. You know, this is some of the disguises in the zone play that Patrick Graham is putting into this is due to the personnel that he has to work with. So... The Giants this year did something that the Knicks have been trying to do for the last five years and it has not worked. You know, trying to bridge the gap between, you know, rebuilding and putting, you know, somewhat of a competitive team on the floor, on the court or something, you know, signing guys to come in right away and be stopgap guys, where the Knicks fail every single year when they try that. The Giants, 
you know, instead of getting guys, you know, that fit a system like James Betcher, you know, bringing in Arizona East, they brought in guys that still, you know, on on, on good deals, team friendly deals. Some guys had approved themselves, you know, finding some guys that wanted to be here have been able to kind of bridge that gap between, you know, making the moves with with with, with the draft picks to keep them locked up for long term and cost control, not overspending and guys contributing right away. And you're seeing that in, with the defense, especially how fast they've all gelled without having a real off season and a whole new scheme is it's pretty remarkable. And again, that goes back to Patrick Graham again for all the work that he's done. Um, but again, just seeing there was a stretch in that third quarter where it was just like every every snap we had somebody in Russell Wilson's face, and we're talking about a guy that's on the short lip to be MVP this year. We're not talking about well, he's a good quarterback; he's not great. We're talking about one of the right now one of the three best quarterbacks in the league. Guys who win games by themselves by doing things above and beyond what's expected of a quarterback, and you know, he tried his best to get, to get them back, you know, that one, last drive when they scored. But still, at the end of the day, we showed discipline and we we did it. Yeah, and it was it was a very bend-don't-break defense. You know, they played a lot of uh, deep coverage. They were not going to allow any big plays down the field. And there wasn't a whole lot of that. I mean, there was there was one long throw to DK Metcalf that he slipped out of a tackle and there was a lot of yards after catch. But other than that... Most of everything was kept in front of everybody, and everything was kind of just controlled. You know, the you know the announcers of the game actually said it best: "Is like if it's if it's third and nine, we'll give you eight. You know, that's kind of the way that they did play it. And also, they kind of kept everything super close. Where if you're going to throw for eight, you'll get eight at best. They will not be another yard after catch. Um, and you know what that translated to is hits as soon as the ball's coming in went to a lot of incompletions and one incompletion that was broken up that turned into an interception. So they were really laying licks on him. In fact, it was everything that I was afraid that Seattle would do to us with all of our short passes playing right into their premier uh, position group, which is their linebackers. Now I was really afraid that that was going to be happening to us. A lot of guys getting clocked the moment the ball touches their hands going up into the air for an interception. Uh, that actually happened in our favor and their favor, but you know, I didn't, I didn't anticipate the level of defense that we were going to be able to play uh, on Sunday, and they, they really, they showed up, and it never faltered. I mean, the defense really never had a drive where they just fell apart, or, or a big play where it's ah shit, that then that they really needed that stop there. You know, that never really happened. I mean, they gave up one touchdown in this game very late in the game. It was a three-minute drive or so, you know, when there was only six minutes on the clock. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a quick strike. It wasn't a big play. You know, it was they, – they played them hard. They earned it. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, we said this uh, – I think it was the Philly game when we lost where nothing chaps my ass more than giving up that quick score first. When they need two scores, give it to them right away. They, they had to work to get it, and it burned clock. And it was to our advantage. And uh, that's all you can hope for, you know, especially when, you know, when you have an elite quarterback like Russell Wilson, it's going to make plays. I mean, that's that's what they do. And they've made careers and they made Hall of Fame careers on that. And uh, they kept everything in front of them. Nothing got away from them. And, you know, they ran out of time. 
That's all you want to do. Yeah, you're right. A lot of Seattle's offense is the big play, the deep play, 20-plus yards, and it really wasn't available for them in this game. And, you know, before we pivot to any farts, I do want to give one honorable mention to somebody who couldn't quite make a star. But but Isaac Yadam, you know, we knew that James Bradbury was going to be trying to handle DK Metcalf for most of the game. And, you know, I was worried about guys like Tyler Lockett and, and more. And Yadam played pretty well, you know, without really diving into every single snap. I didn't see anything he did wrong. He had two very solid uh, pass breakups. I think both were on third down. Uh, one prevented a touchdown. Uh, you know, throw right into the end zone. He got his arm in there and knocked the pass away. He played a really good game. Um, I, I can't give him I can't give him a star because... He, this was a bad. This was a bad game to only have just a good game. You know what I mean? There were just so many other players that played outside of their mind. That I, you know, I'm not going to give stars to everybody. It's just not how I operate. Yeah, <laughs> I am. Uh, I I have some stars to give, but I'm not. I'm going to save them for the other um, sides of the ball and everything. I just I would like to. I'll I guess, I'll give a star to Patrick Graham. I just think overall. Yeah. You know, he has changed the perception. Of this team, and I think that, that the perception of this team, you know, there were some green shoots about people saying, you know, they they play pretty deep, decent defense. I mean, they're they're ranked 11th in this and 10th in that. You hear these little things like, yeah, the league saw that yesterday of what that defense can do. I mean, the offense is going to take some more believing, especially waiting for Daniel Jones to come back. Although you are seeing the things that you want to see from Daniel Jones, like the you know the uh, the decrease in, in the in the turnovers and the fumbles and all that stuff. But what really has changed the perception of this team right now is this team is a really good defensive team, and that's on Patrick Graham, and he gets a star for me for that. Fair enough. I, I wanna, before we flip to the other side of the ball, though, I'm I'm gonna hand out a fart, and this is this is a pretty harsh one, but Julian Love didn't play his best game. Nothing super terrible, but. He dropped a sure interception to end the game. Uh-huh. And that is, I don't want to say inexcusable, but that was the most losers lose. I mean, oh. Russell Wilson is so good at throwing deep on the move, and people are like, wow, he really can launch the ball. It's not about how deep it is. It's how accurate he is on the move and throwing deep. He just kind of launches them, and they're perfect. It is so rare that he overthrows a receiver that is running free the way that he had, I believe it was Metcalf, and he overshot him, and Julian Love had everything on that catch. Hit him right in the hands, got both feet in bounds, and just totally whiffed. And that right there was the game. He makes that interception, and it's over. I mean, how many times have we said that on losses on this show this year? Evan Ingram, he makes that catch. It's game. You know, these are the plays that need to happen. And, you know, I know that Julian Love is not really penciled in to be a starter with Xavier McKinney, you know, being the higher draft pick and the guy that we're, you know, more worried about playing on the opposite side of Peppers and whatever. But people like this got to step up. And the easy plays like that, um, not the easy plays, the easy catches like that have to be made. And so I got to dish out a fart for him. I feel bad for doing it because it's just one play. He didn't play great in general, but... uh, that one, if we lost that game, I would have had 20 minutes on Julian Love. Winning and losing often comes down to one play. And some of these guys have made a career and a livelihood based on one play. So it's totally fair to give a star or a fart on one play. So you are justified. You want to flip to the other side of the ball? 
Let's talk about the offense because I think that's, <laughs> you know, we already talked about Colt McCoy and what he did, and we know what he is and what his limitations are. And I, we, I think we can all agree that he did exactly what we expected. And he, you know, wasn't great, wasn't awful, didn't have to be either. He did what he had to do. Um, I want to talk about Jason Garrett for a minute because, you know, my fear, I don't know if his fear is the right word, but my expectation was to get onto giant Twitter and see, you know, overreaction, hot takes that we are a playoff team. We're going to the Super Bowl. We're back. You know, all these different things. And what do I see as a recurring theme? People bitching and moaning about Jason Garrett, the play calling, our offense. As if, you know, what you saw on the field today and last week is what we are aiming to be. And this is what, you know, this is this is Jason Garrett. First of all, I can't understand how these thoughts even bubble up in your brain after such a, a big, emotional, important win like that. I mean – Let's put things back in perspective. We are playing a backup quarterback. <laughs> a backup quarterback, guys. The entire playbook is not there. We are also playing without our franchise superstar running back. Now, I know he's been gone for quite a while now, but the facts are the facts. We are not running. There was a an offensive playbook that was designed in this offseason to utilize weapons we assumed we would have. And he's not here. And so there is modifications for that, especially after 10 weeks where you know what your personality, the strengths and weaknesses of your offensive line, your skill position people, your quarterback, everybody. So I just don't understand what you people are bitching about. I mean, I right now we are kind of Put together with with bubblegum and scotch tape right now, you know, a quarterback that, you know, our franchise quarterback watched this game from home. Our franchise running back, I don't know where he is, somewhere in rehab land. The number one wide receiver one is not on this roster going forward. Uh, Our tight end, who's probably our best skilled weapon, is as inconsistent as you can possibly be. Where people are deciding that this is coaching and they don't like this scheme and, you know, are pissed off about it, I think you people just better fucking chill out and just be happy for once in your lives. We've been a miserable team for the better part of a decade, and the first sign of success, you're whining about these things. It's you, You're just never going to be happy, and if that's the case, I don't know what to tell you. I can see if if people have a problem looking at how Jason Garrett has not moved away from things that repeatedly haven't worked all year, but this isn't the game to do that after, in my opinion. You know, uh, you are working, A, with a backup quarterback. That's that's for starters. This isn't a game to judge any offensive coordinator. Unless, if you want to judge the offensive coordinator for a backup, it, it would be, why are you making Colt McCoy go into seven-step drops and heave the ball 30 yards downfield every other play? This is not smart. You know, that's that's the kind of thing. Or, or you know, Colt McCoy does have an arm, you know. He doesn't need to hand off three times and then punt. Those are, those are valid offensive coordinator complaints afterwards. 
this was a very those are just but those are just those are play calling decisions those aren't scheme questions people are people are complaining about this they don't like the jason garrett offense which is this isn't guys it's not the jason garrett offense right now we're seeing sorry i'll say i hope so because i understand the complaints we don't have enough vertical routes going we have a lot of guys very close to the line of scrimmage waiting for the ball and you know, a lot of that winds up being intercepted or guys getting hurt or just not gaining a lot of yards. But this offense has changed over the course of the year, so I am optimistic that this is an abridged playbook that is being slowly installed because of the offseason and because you have a young... You don't have Aaron Rodgers here to pick up a playbook and be like, yeah, I got it. We can do this. I'll get them on the same page. I'll work with you. You know what I mean? This is This is a very young team all around. This is a very young quarterback and uh, a quarterback that hasn't proven shit yet to anybody. He hasn't proven to anybody that he can take command of an offense. Not even me. You know, and I'm sitting here standing him. So uh, I agree with you. Uh, I think that this year in general is probably not what we're going to get from Jason Garrett forever. I can't guarantee that, though. You know, it's been a long time since Jason Garrett has had an offense uh, of his own. So I hope that, you know, I really do. Um, however, after this game, again, this is not this game is an outlier for anything that you want to pick apart for Jason Garrett. You know, when you work with an, a backup quarterback, you know, it, it's just everything is different for this game. When you and, and you know what, I'm going to throw an honorable mention here. I, I just threw it an honorable mention to Colt McCoy. Doesn't get a star because he didn't do anything star worthy, but 13 of 22 for 105 yards, a touchdown, and a pick that you know was a pick. Uh, not really on him. He also had a couple of drops that would boost up those numbers a little bit more. We're probably looking about 15 of 22 for like 130 yards, 140 yards. Those are the numbers that he really kind of just needed. (laughs) That's exactly what would have been needed from a backup quarterback in this game, and he did it. So honorable mention, because what he needed to do was not going to be something that would be easy to do. And uh, so there you go, he gets that. Um, I am going to give a star to Andrew Thomas. Nice. Yeah, okay. I can get behind that. I mean, for somebody that I felt was unfairly being blasted, you know, five games ago, that, you know, I heard the EF being mentioned, the Eric Flowers comparisons. The guy has really stepped up his game. And, you know... Being thrown in as a left tackle in this league is very difficult as a rookie. You want to do that in this offseason, you know, and an offseason that really started before even the draft where everything was jacked up, where, you know, you didn't have your normal workouts before combines and your normal, you know, pre-draft, you know, workouts. You don't have all the things associated after the draft. It's going to take a while for these guys to catch on, and the light has gone on, and maybe that has something to do with the the, the change in offensive line coaching, and, and uh, who knows. But all I know is that left side of the line is playing a hell of a lot better, and I'm going to give I'm going to give him the star because again I think he was unfairly being criticized for taking lumps that we all expected, rational people expected he'd have. So I'm going to give him a star. I'm going to give a fart. To Eric Ingram, which is becoming a repetitive, you know, theme on this show. That interception, which I I am going to give him a little bit of leeway that 
it seemed like it was a pretty good defensive play, not just that it went right through his hands. I'll agree with that, yeah. You know, the first thing was, when I saw it, I was like, wow, that was some play. Not, holy shit, he, he just dropped it or went through his hands. But that should not happen to your best offensive weapon. You know, how many times do you see, like, an Odell Beckham or, uh, you know, you name the elite receiver in this league where those type of plays happen against them? Hardly ever. Uh, the inconsistency of the guy is maddening. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm out on him. I don't know if he has a future on this team. I don't know if they want to invest the money that not only that he wants, but we really are willing to invest with him. Uh, I, I just think that, you know, and that could have been a key spot in this game, changed the whole game around. We got away with it, but he gets a fart. You can't allow, we're going to give him the credit that it wasn't a drop ball, but we're going to not say you're not allowed to have players make great plays like that against you. Okay. So I'm, I have uh, Evan Ingram as a fart as well. So he, all, I, before we get into a, an Evan Ingram trashing session, I do want to point out that he did have some good catches, some tough catches on uh, third down conversions, very crucial catches. So he, he, it wasn't just like an absolute disaster this game or anything like that. But no, but but we, he should be doing that. That's kind of like the assumption of his game. I, I think the point for me really is that. You know that was a great defensive play that broke up that pass that went to an interception, but it's it's an every game thing. You know the best ones. You know they don't necessarily even have to hang on to the ball, but they at least you know knock it down. You know when when they get clocked and they, the ball kind of goes down or, or or some level of strength. Some of them hang on to it. Some of them just they almost hang on to it and it kind of they kind of cradle it against the ground and it's incomplete. You know it it seems like every week. I think I think Justin Pennick actually had like a stat that there are like twelve interceptions that Evan Ingram is in some way involved in this year, which is insane. I think it's I'm gonna be I'm gonna sound really stupid if I have that number totally wrong, but um, you know it wasn't just that one. I mean he had two other drops that were again some of them were you know he's getting hit, but like hold on just just hold it. Forget about turning upfield and running. Forget about your speed. It's not important. Catch the ball first, because if you don't do that, then nothing you're able to do with the ball in your hands matters, because it's not in your fucking hands. You know, we talk about Evan Ingram and what he can do. You know, for, forget about what he can do and, and the idea of Evan Ingram versus the reality of Evan Ingram. For just a minute, forget that, because he does do them sometimes. And he does some nice things in games that are that are clutch for this team. Even, even the short four-yard, third and four, four-yard catches that get us the first down. He has, he does have A-plus athleticism, and he has improved his blocking, something that we haven't really talked about much on this show, but he has gotten better, along with all these tight ends, all these linemen, have gotten better at blocking this year. But the fact is that every year, every year, we see tight ends come out in the draft that do have that A-plus athleticism that he has. And those guys, they don't have this issue every game three years down the line. You know, so it's not as rare as it once was where Tony Gonzalez was this freak athlete tight end. You know, there's Travis Kelsey's, there's George Kittles. You know, we, we see these guys. Zach Ertz is another one. I mean, like, they come out like every year, every other year. Noah Fant is another one. I mean, these, these guys, 
They this is how college tight ends kind of are now. So I understand that he becomes this mismatch weapon, but he's not this unicorn. He's not. I mean, this is the thing that you know media guys try to hype him up with that he's a unicorn. He's not a fucking unicorn. You know what I mean? He's he's a I don't know a, a rare breed of horse. I don't know. <laughs> it's not that uncommon anymore. You know, yeah. The thing is, is that. We talk about the, does he have a place on this team? Evan Ingram is on the roster next year because they've claimed his his, his fifth year option. He's a, he's on the roster next year. That's going to happen. I'm pretty sure. The thing is, he's on the roster for six million dollars next year. Okay, that's not incredibly high, but it's much higher than we have been paying him. So that patience, a lot thinner. In fact, I'm saying he's actually probably not getting a second contract. If next year he has an absolute monster of a year, we're not going to pay him. Just because he has that one really good year, I seriously doubt that we forget all the things yeah, in between. He's going to – for a guy like him where you started hearing about what he wants a big contract last year, if he has a monster year next year, you can guarantee that what he's going to want will be outside of what a team that has a lot of needs still and needs to spend a lot of money. And quite frankly, has, a, has an actual memory of what he was beforehand. Not an outside memory, but like an internal memory, you know. Right, with so, his coaching staff, right? Yeah. So, so even though he's on the roster next year at six million dollars, that should not stop the Giants from taking a look at guys like Kyle Pitts and taking oh a look at guys God. like Brevin Jordan and don't Pat give me a, don't give me a chubby man. I'm just <laughs> saying Pitts, these no. guys, they can kind of do some of that stuff, you know. They, and they also don't have to come out next year, so if they don't want to draft. Kyle Pitts or Brevin Jordan or Pat Fryermuth, there's nothing guaranteeing that all three of those guys are coming out next year. Now you're really giving me a stiffy if you're saying Kyle Pitts isn't coming back. (laughs) So, you know, what I'm saying is that guys like this do come out in the draft every year, every other year. He's not a fucking unicorn. So, yeah, he'll be on the roster next year. I think so. And even if he has, even if he has a middling year, we can get him on a fair contract or something like that. I think they're still going to rather draft a guy for $900,000, $1 million, $1.5 million, then, then sign a guy for $6 million. Well, you know something? I, I think what's interesting now is you know when you have a coaching staff starting last year and you have a draft you know, pretty quickly, they really don't know the roster they're inheriting. They know the names. They can start looking at some film. So their input into the draft is kind of limited. Now, when you've had a whole year of – well, tough year, but limited OTAs, but preseason practice, 16 games, maybe a 17th for the playoffs, all the practice time and everything. You know your roster. You know what you have. And more importantly, you know what you want. Not necessarily what the general manager is trying to get, but you know, hey, I need a wide receiver one. I need a backup tight end. I need this. I need that. This is the guy that I type of guy that I want. So now he can come into that. And Joe judge strikes me as a guy that will make his opinions known what he wants and probably is gaining more and more influence in the, uh, you know, in the building with management and with ownership. So, you know, it'll be very interesting to see when we get to the next round of free agency and the draft, you know, how this roster is being constructed. But I'm telling you, it's going to be 
a lot more Joe Judge influence than just Gettleman making moves. I'm glad that you said that too because it, you're allowing me to clarify something I actually didn't say. But So when I say that uh, Evan Ingram isn't a unicorn and that there's guys like Kyle Pitts coming out, I understand that Evan Ingram can run a 4-4 and Kyle Pitts probably can't. He's probably more of a 4-6 guy. The point is that I think that that's something that Joe Judge would rather would rather have a guy who can't run 4-4 but can catch the fucking ball. You know what I mean? I, I think that that's something that Joe Judge uh, uh, is going to worry Values. about more. Yeah. You know, he's going to value that over the athleticism. He's not going to worry so much about upside as he is what already can be done. Uh, and for that matter, these guys are still athletic receiving tight ends. They're not blocking tight ends. So... Um, Kyle Pitts is getting better at blocking this year. He's I didn't say he's, getting, better but last I'm year. he's not your yeah. typical inline blocker. He's typically no, 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 no. Right, so, right, 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 um, right. And that's quite frankly, that's what colleges are putting out more than anything right now. It's actually very hard to find tape on guys that are lined up in line. And that's not the college game anymore. It, it really isn't. isn't. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. I understand that Evan Ingram has more athleticism, but but at the end of the day, I don't think Joe Judge really wants his best receiver to be his tight end. He doesn't want his fastest guy to be his tight end. He wants no. his tight end to be able to block and also be fast enough to outrun a linebacker. You know, he doesn't have to outrun Jamal Adams every game. He has to be able to outrun your standard linebacker. I can't think of Ryan Kerrigan, whatever. You know, just right the guys that they're going to have to face. And on top of that, they have to catch the fucking ball. So. You know, Evan Ingram, it, he gets a lot of shit, and he's he's. I don't think he's nearly as bad. If if you didn't know anything about football, you might think that Evan Ingram would be the worst tight end in the league just by reading things about him. He's not, but it's a fucking fart. He gets a fart. The interception was not one hundred percent on him, but it's just always it's always him, huh? Every time he drops the ball, it becomes a pick. Yeah, and Golden Tate doesn't catch everything. Sterling Shepard doesn't catch everything. Darius Slayton doesn't catch everything. It, does, it, it doesn't seem to be the clutch play every week with them. And it's never tipped into an interception or, or whatever. He doesn't fumble the fucking ball like he did a week ago after making a catch. So it just – you run out of excuses for a guy at a certain point. Um, I'd like to give a fart, if I may, also on special teams to our Noel kicker. Oh, okay. I considered it. I wrote it and I deleted it. I don't care if you hit 75 field goals in a row. You have to make every single extra point. Every single extra point. We are we are playing a game where every point mattered. We are not going to put up 100 points on the scoreboard. We are not going to have huge chunk plays and easy scores. You have to just hit the extra points. And so, so I want to clarify, who is getting the fart here? Is it just Graham Gano or is it special teams? Oh, it's Graham Gano. Okay. I'm calling bullshit on this, but go, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, special teams gets the star when things work out. He gets the fart when things go bad. Yeah, that, that, that's where it's bullshit because I had Graham Gano as a dishonorable mention and I deleted it. And the reason why is because that extra point in this game, I agree with you. You have to make every extra point. But the reason I deleted it is because in this game, that extra point actually wouldn't have mattered if Seattle scored a touchdown at the end. If you don't know that. Difference. You don't know that until... Oh, I agree, yeah. I agree. Um, and I, when it happened, I was pissed. My, my girlfriend was like, what just happened? You were happy five seconds ago. And I was like, doesn't doesn't matter. Um, but 
The reason I deleted it is because at the end of the day, when Seattle was driving down the field, if they scored a touchdown, whether he kicked that extra point right or not, it wouldn't have mattered. However, you not giving special teams a fart, but sing, sing, singling out Gano is bullshit because we actually had a missed block on a punt that resulted in a. Safety. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to that. I'm gonna get to. I was starting off with the specific one to him, <laughs> but then then you know special teams in the aggregate gets a fart for that. It was one of those things. I don't know about you, but I think I felt that happening a mile away. Yeah, it was like this is going to get blocked. Do anything you can just to get it out. I don't care if you have to shank it and, you know, it goes 20 yards. Just don't have it blocked. And sure enough, as easy as you can be. So absolutely a fart. Uh, A very poor performance by special teams overall. I didn't get a chance to look at that on any All-22 film. But in, in live action, we had that back end camera, thankfully. And it looked like it was Nate Ebner that completely whiffed, which is extremely disheartening because he's signed pretty much to be the special teams guy. Um, and, you know, he, he it, it looked like he was the one responsible for that. But I don't know if that was really his responsibility, if he just happened to be there. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't have a good look at the play. So I don't want to single him out as getting the fart, but I agree with you. Um, Quite frankly, when you, have, when, when you have Joe Judge as your coach and special teams are such a premium, it should never, ever happen. I mean, I mean, it's just uh, it's just an an extra fart. So here, here's the thing. I, I have one more star I want to give, but I'm going to piggyback off of that and give it a fart. I'm going to give a fart to, again, Mark Schlereth and the Fox team of Masters. One of the things that they did do is they said the same thing you just did. It's like, he's a, he, this is a special teams guy. This has got to be killing him. Dude, he's the fucking head coach. We have a special teams coordinator. You know, a couple weeks ago, he took time out of his life to focus on the offensive line because that was the fucking problem. That's where he had to divide. He's going to divide his attention where it's needed. He is not the special teams guy. Well, no, no, no. There's two different things. The special teams guy is the one who's you know, specifically playing. You know, I want these 11 guys out there or we're going to we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to onside kick here or we're going to directional punt here. That's different. I mean, I know setting, that. But... Setting, setting the uh, setting the culture and setting the priority of special teams but from a guy like that means that attention to detail should be stronger. You know, who is on special teams? Like That attention should be greater. So the odds of these things happening should be so much more unlikely than, you know, if a non-special teams guy was head coach, for example. So I'm not saying, well, that's, you know, how did he screw that up? He's a special team background. No, just saying that something that egregious the likelihood should be much, much, much lighter because of the of the culture that's being set up by him and the importance of special teams. I get all of that, but it just seems to be he's always described as a special. So, like, this isn't as if like Pat McAfee comes out of retirement to become a, a, a kicking coach or especially he's yes he's been a special teams coach for like five years or something like that, but he wasn't really like a special teams player in college or, or anything like that. He doesn't really have a you know. I don't know. It just it just bugs me that he is still being watered down to being a special teams guy, even when it's said in that way. I, I know that it's not being said in an, an intentionally irresponsible way or anything like that, but it's just annoying. It's annoying to me because he is the ultimate head coach CEO right now. He's hired fucking ex-head coaches to handle his 
defensive coordinator. Well, spot. until in, until he has a track record, until there's a narrative about him, until you can say more things about him, that's what he's kind of known for. I, I mean, know, but it's just it's just annoying. I, I just don't understand. You know, it, it's. It's the same thing like when you hear the same stories every week about the guy in college. Like, did, uh, Here's an example. Jo- longtime Giant fans remember Lewis Tillman, running back in the uh, early 90s. I think it was you know, after the first Super Bowl or after the second Super Bowl. His claim to fame was he went to the same – he broke Walter Payton's – all of his records at – I think it was Spelman College. And every single week, whatever – you know, CBS announcer who covered our game would have to give that same stat about it. It was like, no fucking shit. We know that already. Is there anything else you can tell me about this guy other than the one factoid that's in the media book? It's the same thing with Joe, Joe Judge. Until people know what Joe Judge is and know about him and he has a track record and he's done something and, you know, that's what he's – That's he is known as the special teams guy who's now the head coach. And we just have to kind of deal with it until – there's a new narrative about him. In any case, we are we are a first place team now. We have a we have a respectable record. Okay, we we are nearly 500. You know that's that's not pathetic. That's not three and seven. You know, like you could have said a couple weeks ago. Can we stop getting the Fox D crew for fuck's sake? This is uh. like the fourth game that we've gotten Adam. I mean, and. Mark Schlereth. Okay. It's ridiculous. Mark These guys Schlereth are so is, bad. Is so fucking stupid. And you know, I know I bitch about Al Michaels falling asleep in his chair. And, you know, we, we talk about how Troy Aikman doesn't add anything to the game. This guy actually adds incorrect things to the game. It is so infuriating to have someone being paid to talk to people who don't know what's going on and say everything fucking wrong. of his analysis is just fucking wrong, and then the other 70% are dumb jokes and him making voices. I mean, why are we still being subjected to this? I'm hoping that somewhere at Fox they're like, hey, the Giants just beat Seattle. You know, maybe let's bump them up to, you know, let's give them Joe, I don't know, I say Joe Buck, but let's give them Kevin Burkhart and and, uh, Daryl Johnson. Yeah, he's no no prize either. I mean, give uh, give me Kenny Albert. I love I mean, him. I'm, I'm just saying, I'm not. This isn't a competition. I'm just saying, why are we getting the bottom? Why are we scraping announcers off of the floor for this team anymore? I mean, this is. First of all, he shouldn't even be employed. And second of all, you know, we are a, a first place team. We are actually the division leader. There's a good chance. Not saying it's going to happen, but there's a good chance they make the playoffs. Why are we still getting these guys? What the hell? This was a game between two first place teams. So what the fuck with this? And then, you know, meanwhile, this is like the atypical, the atypical, this is the typical situation of bad announcers that, and and I I don't want to throw a mean into this because he's just the play-by-play guy and he's, he's doing his part fine. He's just calling the plays. He's not out of, out of line or anything like that. But the typical two media guys go in and they do all their pre-research and Jamal Adams is coming off a great game and so is DK Metcalf and so that's what we're going to talk about for this game. At a certain point in this game, you can pivot away from that when they're not having a breakout game anymore. When Wayne Gallman, who by the way is my last star, breaks a 60-yard run in a game that has had no explosive plays, how are you going? going to show a replay of Jamal Adams running across the field and not even making the fucking tackle? 
Yeah, I that mean, was ridiculous. I that mean, was we were just drooling over Jamal Adams' name at this point. And, and it got to the point where the second half of the game, the offense made an adjustment to just wherever Jamal Adams is, make sure the play has him blocked. Do not leave him one-on-one. And, and Jamal Adams is not exactly, you know, a, a household name. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not, it's not like it's not, contract. This is his third year, second year. It's, it's not like he's Tom Brady where people are tuning in just to see Jamal Adams. I mean, you know, there is no 55-year-old, you know, grandma out there She's waking up on a Sunday morning and saying, what channel is the Jamal Adams game on today so I can watch? Like, I want to go to church early and get home in time to watch the Jamal Adams game. No, it's fucking Jamal Adams. I mean, this is something that people who hate the Giants usually complain about or, you know, a, a big city market like a New York or an L.A. or Chicago. Like, why are they focusing on things that none of us give a shit about? It's 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 pretty ironic that they're doing something against a giant broadcast where it's like that that when I saw that I was just like you have to be kidding me what what was the point of that there's nothing else you could say of how that play developed other than that's the kind of play I'll tell you when you point that out when a team has a dismal record they're definitely not going anywhere you you look at a, a team like the Bengals is a perfect one they're super young maybe they're trending in the right direction they finally got their quarterback they're definitely not going anywhere. They're not even going to win the game that we're calling right now. But here's some hope for the future. Look at this rookie, 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 not Jamal Adams, but rookie, run across the field and save this from being a touchdown. That's something you Bengals fans should be excited for. Not a game between two first-place teams and a guy they fucking traded for to get you over the hump to compete for the Super Bowl. Of course he can do that. Everybody <laughs> knows anything about this team knows that Jamal Adams can do that. That is not highlight worthy. He didn't make the tackle. He didn't do anything spectacular except take an angle on a tackle. That's like the bare minimum of what a defensive back should be able to do. Pathetic. Pathetic drooling over a player. And that's that's fine if they want to gush over a great play, but that wasn't a great play. And you know, the great play that happened, they just bit, it's swept under the rug like it was anything. Like a 60-yard run just happens. In a game where nothing was fucking happening. I couldn't believe right. it. This was absolute nonsense. And then he follows it up. I don't know if you even know about this, but he had a, some weird drunken meltdown on Twitter at the end of the night, Sunday night. Who, Jamal Adams? No, uh, uh, Mark Slareth. Oh, That's really? Weird, stupid thing where he, he asked Art Stateman if he was going to cry about, I don't even know what. Nobody seems to know. And, you know, Giants fans are like, why are you going after Art Stapleton? And he's just talking about, like, oh, well, DK Metcalf really laid that stiff arm, whatever. You guys think you're hot shit. It was, it's so weird. And it's, like, still going on. I'm not really sure what's happening. But all I can really hope from any of this is that Fox sees that he is, A, a bad announcer, and, B, is not to be trusted with any level of uh, yeah, but representation you know, so of their brand. That He it. represents – that's Fox attitude. And from the day Fox took over from CBS for NFC, that's what they kind of like. That all these guys all sound the same. They want guy talk. They want the sound of two guys sitting in a bar shooting the breeze. That's the you know the days of having the you know the older. Uh, I'm not asking for fucking expert. Pat Summerall, but I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm talking about like just. Guys who play it by the vest and are you know analytical more that that's over. They want these guys with an attitude and you know 
these guys are younger now than they used to be. Like when we were growing up, the announcers were not as young as they are now. They weren't right out of playing. They were older, you know, and it's just Fox will never get rid of a guy like him unless he does something that, you know, unless he's starting to drop, you know, curse words or, you know, he starts really offending people in a way like, you know, what the way they'll offend him. But that they don't they don't mind that at all. And because they know that people are or not watching because of the announcers. I mean, no one's not watching. It's like, oh, the Mark Slater game? I'm not watching that. I mean, most people don't have Sunday ticket, and they have to watch the game that's in front of them. And they're going to watch. The ratings prove it. More people watch preseason football than they do, you know, game five of the NBA finals. So there's really no incentive for them to make changes. Well, I'm going to ignore all of that because it pisses me off. I, I oh, just, I'm saying it doesn't. I mean, I'm just, I'm just, I don't even know what, what, where it started and why. I mean, to, to be honest with you if, you, if you look it up, he really just quote tweeted a random thing where, where Art said, you know, that was a heck of a stiff, stiff arm by DK Metcalf, but J- James Bradbury makes the tackle. And he's just like, you're going to cry about it or something? Like, I, I have no idea where it came from and why. And then his interaction with Giants fans was just branching off of like, what are you ta- why did you just go after Art? Really, really weird shit, and I don't know what his deal is. He he fucking sucks at his job. If if he were great at his job, you know, whatever. But he's not. He's terrible. And my hope is that Fox sees him as not a representation that they want. In addition to him not even being good at his job, and they let him go. But pivoting to something that's actually good, Wayne Gallman had a great fucking game. You gave him a star last week. I'm giving him one this week. 16 carries for 135 yards, including that big 60-yard run that set them up for the first touchdown. It's not just long runs. It's him fighting. Sometimes the hole isn't really all the way there with this line yet. You know, it's like... It's, How many yards did he have after contact this I, game? You know, I don't know. But there was there was one where he was dragging said Jamal Adams for about six or seven yards. That He he kind of got hit around... What, Jamal field. Adams? Really? Oh, my God, right? God, you know, the, 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 the world-famous, you know, ratings-inspiring Jamal Adams? How many angles did they have of Jamal Adams being carried six or seven yards? <laughs> Yeah, it, it, I mean, he really he is continuing to play a good I'm 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 upset because I know I, I think I know what's going to happen with him anyway. He's not going to be a giant for much longer. Um because what he does, he does well, but he's playing so well right now that he's going to get a contract that A we can't match and B we probably shouldn't match. He's going to get the Scott Mitchell contract. Someone's going to overpay for him and they're going to realize that he's a average to above starter. average back. Yeah, fringy starter. He's, he's the kind of guy that with no offensive line, he's not going to give you anything. He's not going to make two guys miss in the backfield the way that Saquon Barkley can. Um, but when it, could you, be a good, it could be a good number two back on a good team, but again, are you going to pay for that? Yeah. Are you going to pay if for that? You, you, get, you get him behind you know, Dallas' normal offensive line. You get him in, in San Francisco against the, behind their normal offensive line. When guys but, having another, but having another running back already there in yeah. place. Which yeah, is, just, just switching that. him out, you know. That running back I mean, that committee thing. Yeah. Let's see what Gallman does in four weeks from now, you know, and, and see if he gets worn down or is he's, you know, if he's as uh, productive as he is at this moment. Like right now, he's at a high productivity, but let's see. I'm, I'm very happy for him. I'm very glad he's playing well, but I'm not counting on this to be sustained the rest of the year. I hope I'm wrong, but he's he has saved this offense from being a complete nothing in the running game yeah and that that's kind of where i'm going with this you know i know that 60 yards make up uh just shy of 50 percent of 
his total uh, yardage from this game. But this was a game where the running needed to be important. It needed to work. But that's important. I mean, I know it's 60%, but everybody has, you know, that one run separates the average running backs from the great running backs. Sure. I mean, it, it, I don't know. I guess I don't really know what I mean by that. But <laughs> the, the the important thing is that this was a game where the running game, the running backs needed to play a great game, and they both played a pretty good game. Alfred Morris is still old man Morris to me. He's He didn't do anything super special, but he did what he needed to do. And Wayne Gallman did what he needed to do. He didn't always have a perfect hole to run through, but he carried guys for extra yards, which is what he's been doing all year. This was the game he absolutely needed to do it, and he did it really well. And it was... It set up the first touchdown. You know what I mean? He really was running like a fucking champion in this game, so he deserves a fucking star, so I'm giving him one. Good. And uh, that's all I've got on this game right now. Yeah, me too. I mean, we are we're recording this on a Monday night. We just saw Washington beat Pittsburgh, so you know, the importance of beating Seattle is even more magnified. And this is not a... You know, we have the lead right now, but don't take it for granted. We are not good enough to assume we are going to win this division. It's, this is going to be a battle for the final four weeks. You know, I'm expecting you know, we're going to struggle against some teams that are better than us, and uh, it's going to make for a good month, a good final month. So more than we can hope for and embrace it. This was the first time in four years I was able to eat Thanksgiving leftovers while watching a Giants team in first place. Actually, they weren't even in first place four years ago. They were in second place. So it's been a long time. Two presidents ago it's been that long. Um, So this this is, you know, this is a special thing. And I know that this team is not the 08 team. You know what I mean? This isn't the 2018 that was just rolling over opponents week after week and ended 12-4 and four after the, the gimme game they gave to Minnesota in Week 17 with David Carr uh, playing. This is every much, every bit as much as a playoff team as that, though. I mean, this is, it is what it is. These are all very meaningful games. And, you know, it makes all of football more fun. I had a reason to watch football at 5 o'clock today on a Monday. I needed to know the outcome of that game, and I wanted to see yeah. what happened. Football Agreed. itself is pretty boring when your team sucks. I don't really care what's happening around the Sports league. are boring when they have to mean something. Yeah. I mean, that's why that's why there is such a premium and such an importance on making sure these guys don't gamble and these games aren't fixed. Because the second you there's a perception that these things are fixed, no one will care anymore. And you know, that's why you know we watch because we want to know what happened. We don't know what's going to happen, and we need to have some. You know, they tried when the pandemic started to show old games, and at first it was cool. They played classic games and historic games, and people watched. But then, like NFL Network started showing, well, let's show a random Week 13 from 2018. No one cares. The only no one, one watched. The only one no who watched that is fans of the winning team watching that one, and, and even, even that's a stretch. Has to mean something. Yeah. I mean, again, if there's a if there's a r- random giant win from 2016, it didn't really mean anything. I'm probably not going to spend three hours watching it. Yeah. So, I mean, for for real, but but guys, I know I know we can bitch and moan about things that are, still aren't working and. 
We still don't know about Daniel Jones, whatever. Just enjoy this win. Enjoy this win. And, you know, we can get excited about playing Arizona next week, a game that, again, they can absolutely win, especially if Daniel Jones is back. So we'll have a whole preview episode on that for you Friday morning. So be ready for that. And let's get ready for another win. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at football underscore grump. Um, I am still yelling at Mark Schlereth for being a drunken asshole. And, um, I I don't see a reason to stop until he stops. So that's just going to keep going. So you can follow me for that level of content as well as actual content uh, about the New York Giants. Catch me as always at the Cranky Fan where uh, besides the Giants march to first place, we are 11 days away from Florida playing Alabama in the SEC championship game. So I am spending my days from Sun up to sundown, just reviewing both games, both teams, and being very excited. So, uh, and not to mention my first place Tottenham Hotspur for beating Arsenal in the uh, the derby. So, a lot of good things are happening right now. The Knicks haven't lost a game. They also haven't had a practice yet, but everything is good from Cranky Fanville. So, follow me on Twitter at the Cranky Fan. And as always, this podcast can be found on Podbean, Spotify, Apple. Google Play, wherever there's podcasts, we're there in some capacity. So be sure to subscribe for free and all of these episodes will be right there waiting for you when they're ready. So that's usually first thing in the morning on Tuesday morning for our post-game reviews and first thing in the morning, Friday morning for our pre-game episodes. So be sure to follow there. And as always, go Go Giants. Giants.